Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you to lead with greater calm, clarity, and conviction, even in anxious times. This is Bridget Tyre, your trusty co-host, along with my wonderful collaborator, Irvin Nugent. Hey, Irvin, chime in and tell folks how the heck you're doing. I'm doing great today. Actually, as we record this, I am on a business retreat down in uh, Florida. So life is pretty good. I got out of some of the cold DC, although it's not exactly sunshine here, but hey, um, you kind of everything in life, but enjoying the retreat, enjoying the little bit of extra time to think things, uh, how things are going in the business. Mm. And there is a beach, so I get a chance to walk there. So, you know, life nice. is good. So it is, but I'm excited about this conversation today. So why don't you kick us off, Bridget? Let us know what we're going to dive into. All right. Well, we are diving into making it stick, creating lasting change in our leadership or in our life. And, you know, millions of dollars, if you think about it, Irvin, in a heck mm. of a lot of time yep. are spent every year, right, <laughs> on self-improvement and leadership development. I mean, you so and true. I have spent our fair yeah. share of pennies yes. in that department. And we're seeking ideas and inspiration, and that's all great and wonderful. And yet what we know is that by themselves, ideas are not enough to create lasting change. Mm we have to couple that with concrete practices. You know, anything you want to get better at, whether it's a tennis game or leadership, you got to practice. Yeah. And uh, and that has a lot to do with the brain because as we're going to talk a little bit more about, all behavior change is brain change. More on that mm. in just a bit. Mm. But I'm curious, Irvin, you, you know, you wouldn't have gotten into this profession if you didn't believe that human beings were capable mm -hmm. of creating meaningful and lasting change. Yeah. So what comes to mind for you in terms of like a client or uh, maybe even a family member, I don't know, of somebody who, who did just that? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because I think sometimes change is elusive. One of the clients that comes to mind is someone who is, you know, very much on this hamster wheel of world of work today and running ragged from end to end, very busy. You know, he came to me and he said, you know, I'm getting feedback that people are picking up that I am either upset with them or I have no time for them. And he goes, nothing could be further from the truth. And so it was interesting. He said, I, I don't know how to change that. And so we, we kind of talked about it. You know, one of the things that came out from that conversation is literally this poor man was leaving one minute and almost running to the next meeting. And so he would come in, he would sit down, and, you know, we talked about whatever energy was coming from that previous meeting was coming into that people. We talked about how people pick stuff up. And so we, we developed this little practice, uh, which I've used before, which is, you know, the threshold that as we pass through a, a threshold, can I be more deliberate in mm -hmm. the presence that I want to bring to this new place? And so I said, you know, could you give me 15 seconds? And he goes, yeah, I can give you 15 seconds. I said, okay. I said, why don't you, before you walk into the next meeting, either on Zoom or in a physical room, just stop for 15 seconds to breathe in and breathe out and just say, how do I want to show up? And he was really faithful to that. You know, so simple yet it's the consistency, but he was very faithful to that. And he was really surprised. He said, you know, people are picking up something different. Just that little stop. So that comes to mind, you know, of someone that so often we think of change as something big, and it doesn't have to be, but it can have big impact. 
Wow, what a great idea. Because again, the simplicity of it meant that he could practice it, but yet it made a big difference for him. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Mm. So I'm thinking of an example that has recently really inspired me. Mm. Now, of course, many of my clients, and if you're listening, you know that you inspire me all the time, but I'm going to pick somebody <laughs> different this time. And that's mm-hmm. my husband, Doug, because he made a change over the last year that I feel is truly remarkable. And so what mm-hmm. happened is, um, you know, I think he decided, he didn't share this with me in, uh, at the beginning, he shared it with me later, but he was longing for more contentment and mm-hmm more equanimity in his day. I think he felt like he got triggered easily Mm. or more easily than he wanted. He just didn't want that anymore, but I don't think he knew how to change it. So he went on a search and he Mm. was reading things and he came across some stoic philosophies and he read Marcus Aurelius writings. Yeah, Many of our listeners are probably familiar with stoicism and Marcus Aurelius in particular. And then what changed for Doug is when he came across three specific things he could practice every day. These were from Marcus Aurelius's writings and they grabbed him. They grabbed his attention. And the three things that he decided he would practice every day was one, unselfish action, two, objective judgment, with, which really meant to him as he learned it, withholding judgment about another's motives. Mm. And three, willing acceptance, particularly of those things you can't control. He spoke to him. So he put him, I don't know, a note card and every day. And here's how he decided to practice it. When somebody or someone triggers me, I'm going to bring to mind these three principles, in particular, the second one, mm. which is to withhold judgment. And I'm going to see how, how that works. So, you know, somebody cuts them off in traffic, previously a big trigger. <laughs> I don't know mm. if any of our listeners can relate to that, but if I get cut <laughs> off in traffic, it triggers me. <laughs> previously, he would be like, what is with that jerk? Like, how dare he? And he said, wait a second, maybe that guy's having a bad day. You know, mm. maybe he he's distracted because his wife is sick or what have you. I'm going to withhold judgment. And slowly but surely, these practices took root. The willing acceptance was important because could he control if somebody else cut him off? No, he could not. And this is something that over time he practiced every single day. Mm. And what I noticed, well, first of all, I was a recipient of these wonderful practices. And I noticed over time that he did seem to be more content. Mm -hmm. He did seem to have greater equanimity in his day. And he was much less reactive. And so it really stuck. I don't know. What, what stands out to you about that example? You no, know, it's, oh, wow. Such a great, such a great example. And I think for me, you know, there are three things that are, are coming up. First of all, the first two, there's, there's a clarity there. There's a clarity about his aspiration. You know, this is something that's happening. I'm being triggered and I want to change. So it was, it was very, you know, there was a clarity exactly about the behavior that needed to be changed. And then there was a clarity about the practice. You know, he kind of spent some time about, you know, what is the right practice here? What could I do? And so then there was a clarity. And then the final one is this commitment to, I will practice this. Nothing changes if there is no practice. And so there was this, this commitment to, to practice this day in, day out. And, and luckily there's always, you know, lots of opportunities to practice, especially being triggered in this moment. <laughs> 
so there was he, he committed to those three areas and and what we found was was some lasting change and I think those three you know when I think about it though those three ingredients are really essential at any change initiative that actually is going to have impact and last yeah and it's even more impressive I think when I consider the fact that no one was asking him to change it was self-directed yeah. Yeah. and you know He's 63 years old, and some people yeah. believe that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. He taught himself some new tricks, yeah. and they made a big difference. Yeah, it's that kind of, you know, what strikes me, that internal motivation. You yeah. know, I'm not doing because someone has told me to do it. I freely want to, and I'm wondering as well, you know, because it, that that aspiration came from that internal motivation as well, that really helped. That's a big deal. You have to find a reason for change that matters to you yeah. and that pulls you forward. And the other thing is you have to find a practice that resonates with you. Yes. You know, yes. to our listeners, you might be thinking, well, stoicism doesn't resonate with me and that's fine. Hmm. But we each have to find the practices that work for us. Yeah. So Irvin, you know, a lot of times we try to introduce some neuroscience tidbits. I would love for you to share with the listeners a couple of thoughts on this, because I think when hmm. we peer inside the brain, to observe or to understand how the brain creates lasting change, it's helpful mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to bring up two things. Uh, so you already mentioned a wonderful quote, uh, which was all behavior change is brain change. And that actually comes from Dr. Reno O'Brien, who is a cognitive neuroscientist. And I think, you know, there are some fascinating studies on change. Needless to say, you know, change is part of what companies are trying to do. So there's been there's been a lot of study, you know, what happens in the brain when there's change. There's a great study which is actually on London cab drivers. And you'll think, oh well that's interesting. Why would it be there? Well, you know, London is one of the most complex cities to get around. You know, when you think about it, you know, when you want to drive someone in London, there are so many little streets and back streets. And so, and this study was done, I think, before even the onset of pervasive GPS around as well. So people literally had to know these streets. And so there was a study, you know, what's happening to these cab drivers? Because it took up to three years. They had to pass an exam, a test, and it took three years to study for this because you can think about how large London is and how many streets there are. And so they did some interesting research of what's going on in the brains of these cab drivers as they are learning and they are learning to adapt to all these different routes that they have to memorize. And what was interesting was, you know, we often think there's a little part in the brain there, you know, and it's kind of got our, got our learning and our memory and we kind of spurred it out. But really what was happening is the whole brain was actually changing. And really that part about spatial information, when you think about it, you know, driving, you've got all these maps going on in your head and you've got these streets that are coming up. And that part of the brain started to change. And literally the gray matter of the brain started increasing as they prepared for this exam. You know, we think about that, the muscle of the brain, you know, you go to the gym and unfortunately one visit to the gym does not change a lot. Darn. (laughs) Darn. It requires constant practice and three or four times a week. And then you begin to see uh, a difference. So that's the first thing. So, so the first thing is, you know, the actual brain structure itself changes can change. And then piggybacking on that, there's another process which is called synaptic pruning. Now, we have heard the saying, you know, I'm hardwired to do that, you know, and you said you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And there's there's a problem with that in that it can be very deterministic, that in the sense of, you know, once I reach a certain age, nothing's going to change. Well, actually, nothing could be further from the truth. 
when it comes to the brain, because it actually, we are not hardwired. The brain is actually very fluid. There's a, a concept in neuroscience called neuroplasticity. And plasticity, there is plastic. It's moldable. The brain is changeable. And it is this, it refers to the brain's ability to learn new ways of seeing things, of doing things, uh, well into our old age. And okay. so what, what's incredible, you know, we, we kind of think, you know, that you know, last episode, we talked about stereotypes. Maybe one of the stereotypes we have is, you know, older people can't change. Well, actually, we can. We just have to be willing to want to do that. So I'm curious, you know, as you listen to that, Bridget, what does it evoke within you? A lot of hope and a lot of encouragement. Yes. Because, you know, we, I mean, I think most of our listeners know that the brain is certainly impacted by life experiences, right? Yeah. And whether those experiences are traumas that we have or physical mm. injuries, the brain can adapt and is shaped by those things. I think what we're less often aware of is that we can actually cooperate with this incredible process known as synaptic pruning and yeah. nudge it along. Yeah. We can be the authors of the rewiring of our mm -hmm. brains, not just the recipients of rewiring. I go back to the example I shared of my husband, and I wonder how his brain looks different after a year of practicing this. We would see differences, you know? I don't know what yeah. they would be, but we yeah. would see. Yeah. yeah so I think that's really, really encouraging. And I think that it's a key piece of this creating lasting change, right? That we can take an active role through practicing in changing our brain structure, but we have to remember there's, there's three ingredients, right? So we've been talking yep. a little bit about the practice part, but, but there's three parts to creating lasting change. And if we remember those, then uh, we're in good stead. And yeah, Irvin, remind our listeners what those are. Yeah, so let's let's put some of that brain synapses. Can I remember it? Yes, in, in action. But, you know, the three things, if you remember, was you know one is we had this clarity around the aspiration, clarity about you know what is it that I want to change and why is it important. And the second one was there was clarity then about a practice. What practice will I use to engage in? And then the third was this commitment to be consistent that I will apply this. How many times is needed to affect the change? So. Maybe it'd be helpful, Bridget. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. You know, we talk about practice. Practice is a very coachy word, you know, what practice right. we have. But what does that actually mean in reality? What, because all practices are not created equal. And maybe let's offer a little guidance to, to people who are curious about embracing a new practice in their lives. Yeah, I really want to piggyback on what you just said, that not all practices are created equal because mm -hmm. they really aren't uh, in any endeavor. But we really know, I mean, think about it. Like, again, if you want to learn a musical instrument, you sure aren't going to learn it without practice. And we understand this intuitively for some reason about things like learning a new language or picking up a musical instrument or playing a new sport, you know, like pickleball. But when it comes to leadership, right, we, we somehow think, what? I got What's a practice? It's the same mm. thing. Yeah. Right? We become what we practice. Yeah. Now, for a practice to actually be effective, though, there's a couple of things, right? A couple of qualities. One is it's got to be specific and actionable. Mm. 
that's really, really important. You got to break it down into something you're going to actually do and when are you going to do it and who are you going to do it with and so forth. And going back to Doug, you know, I, as I listened to him talk to me about what he was practicing, I could see he, he had those three principles, but then he got it more specific than that. It's like, when I get triggered, this is what I'm going to do instead of that. I think it's important for the practice to be realistic and doable. And I don't know if this is true for you, Irvin, but sometimes my clients aren't so realistic about what they're going to practice. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, what what are we going to practice? I'm going to start meditating 30 minutes every day and they've never meditated in their life. That ain't going to happen. So that's important. And then repeat it on a consistent basis. You Mm -hmm. mentioned that, but Another thing I notice with practices is that sometimes clients will say, yeah, I'll practice that. And I'll say when, and they're like, well, you know, maybe when this happens and I inquire, well, when does that happen? Oh, probably once a week. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-uh, that's not enough. Yeah, It's got to be daily and, and ideally several times a day. So, you know, in addition to like, oh, you know, once a week, if I, if I say to my clients at the end of a coaching session, which I do every time, what are you going to practice? right? Mm-hmm. It'll often be something kind of broad, like I, I'm going to practice being more curious. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, that's a great intention. That's a great aspiration. But what are you going to actually do? Like, tell me, I'll push them, you know, tell me a little bit more about like, which relationships would really benefit from an extra dose of curiosity from you? Yeah. You know, or if they say I'm going to practice being calmer. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, again, wonderful. Yeah. But with whom and when mm-hmm. and what would that look like? Right. I don't know. Do you have similar conversations with some of your clients? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a very interesting question because I think, you know, one of the things I try and do as well as kind of group practices, you know, kind of what is this a practice attempting to change or, or what? So sometimes, you know, a practice is in response to an event happening. So like you brought up the experience of, and God knows anyone that's in a car will have to deal with other drivers and the mysterious things that drivers do, like cut in front of us, et cetera. And so we may develop a practice there of what happens when this happens. So when someone cuts in front of me, instead of me banging and screaming and shouting, I'll say, I'm going to, the practice is, is the, the grabbing off the wheel will make sure I'll breathe. And then I will try and come up with one thing that's different than them being rude. Maybe it is yeah. they're in a rush or maybe they're late for something or maybe they're trying to get to a hospital or something. So that's a practice in response to something. And then the second one is it's not necessarily that you're responding, but rather you're trying to be proactive. You're trying to initiate a practice that is setting out something that you want to achieve. So maybe like a good example here is, you know, a business or a leader, you know, who wants to evoke a different energy within their meetings. And maybe instead of starting their meetings, just going straight in, you know, agenda item number one, it's like, I'm going to change that and maybe start with a curious question that invites people to um, get to know each other and to increase the level of trust. And so there, that's not necessarily a response to something that's happened, Mm -hmm. but rather something proactive, trying to create a change that you want to see. And then the third one is much more self-observation. Now, I think the practice I mentioned about, you know, the person stopping at the door could almost fall into that because what they're doing is they're taking 15 seconds to observe what's going on within me. 
You know, yeah. what kind of energy am I bringing? Do I need to change that? So it's it's a little time to kind of be a little self-reflective. And then do I need to make a change here before I enter the room? So I think those are are three different kind of categories that we could map kind of practices on. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, have you thoughts or about practices as well? And maybe a few other few examples. I'm sure, you you know, you, you say you end the coaching with, with what practice. So I'm sure you must have seen and, and developed many practices in your coaching life. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes the practice is something that I already have shared with another client and it has a particular name and I offer it up as, would this be helpful? But sometimes we actually design a a practice together right? and they name it, they call it something, right? So, so let me share an example of a self-observation practice that we actually teach in our resilient leadership training. And I I think anybody can use it. And so that's why I offer it up to our listeners. Mm -hmm. And what I like about it is that it's a practice of observing how you're showing up as a leader, but doing that in hindsight, which is a lot Mm. easier than trying to do it in the moment. So the practice works like this. At the end of the day, as you are finishing up your day, or maybe you're commuting home, you step back, you, you reflect on your day, and you ask yourself a question with curiosity, which goes something like this. What words would I use to describe the quality of my presence today? Right? How did I show up? What would, the, what would be the adjectives? Well, well, maybe when you take a look at that and you reflect non-judgmentally, just with curiosity, you might go, God, I was pretty distracted today. Mm. Or I was a little irritated or a little irritable today. Or I was, gosh, I was really engaged. Mm. I was optimistic. Whatever the words are, it doesn't matter what the words are. What matters is the noticing, yeah. the observing, the act of observing. Create something new, doesn't it, Irvin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, love that. So we can observe anything about ourselves, our mood, our posture, our thinking, our behavior, our presence. And that opens up new actions for possibility. So that's that's an example that comes to mind. Another practice, and this was something that a long, long time ago, one of my clients named it. They're like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice hitting the pause button like I do with my remote control, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say, okay, yeah, tell me what that looks like. And he said, okay, well, right now, because he was a school principal and he's like, right now, I have a lot of angry parents and they approach me in the hallways. They approach me at the pickup line with concerns and complaints mm-hmm. and they come at me and I get, you know, and I get triggered and I get, I get caught off guard and I get swept into these conversations. Of course, they don't go well. And he said, so I'm going to practice literally seeing in my mind's eye a remote control. I'm going to hit that pause button. I'm going to take a mindful breath. And then I'm going to say something like, you know, I really want to listen thoughtfully to your concerns. And so for us to do that, I want you to reach out to the front office and schedule time with me Mm. in which I know we'll have a productive conversation about this. Mm. That's it. And he started practicing that. And, you know, lo and behold, over a period of time, the people became, you know, parents became aware that that it was useless to interrupt him in those moments, right? Such a simple thing. But what kind of lasting change did it create for him? Man, it made a big difference. He started feeling really different about himself. Yeah, I love that practice. I'm trying to think about another one. Oh, here's one more. This was so interesting. Coaching a client 
who wanted to bring more curiosity to her job because she said the following words, I'm a very impatient leader. Like mm-hmm. I don't slow down for anybody. And I am all about results. And I don't think I ever really stop to get curious about why things aren't happening. And I want to do that. So she decided what she would practice. She came up with this, which is she said, I'm going to actually use the following words whenever I'm talking to somebody and I can feel impatience rising inside me. I'm going to say, you know, I'm really curious. And then whatever comes out of my mouth next is what comes out, you know? And it turns out that just practicing, you know, I'm really curious was a powerful thing for her that began to change the tenor and tone of her conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, and the connectivity that she had with people. So those are what came to my mind. And I want to point out to our listeners, the simplicity of the practices. Mm -hmm. They might not seem like, well, how could that be any big deal? And yet we become what we practice and each and every one of those clients it's stuck. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Irvin? What what comes to mind for you? Yeah, you know, there's a few few little interesting practices as well that clients kind of we've co-created together. I mean, I, I'm calling to my one client who was a little pessimistic, and he said, "You know, I I I'm, I'm I can be negative, and mm-hmm. I I want to be a little more positive." And so we kind of said, I was curious, said, you know, like, I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you start the day? Like, 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 how does this day get rolling? You know? And he goes, well, I get up and I watch the news and, and then we, so he starts talking and I said, you know, what's interesting about the news is, is that the best start of the day? And he, we yeah. kind of laughed a little bit and he goes, you know, now that you talk about it, you know, there's like that 22nd part at the end, you know, where it's something positive. It's all about what went wrong in the world. And I said, you know, well, what could you do? I mean, I'm not saying don't watch the news, but what could you do? And he said, you know, I'm just going to um, get up and have a positive intent for the day. That if everything went right today, what would it look like? And he had this little practice and and he really kept to it. You know, kind of he woke mm-hmm. up in the morning, instead of turning on the news, that would be his little practice. And he said it began to have an impact. I keep thinking of that intent for the day. Mm-hmm. And, and I really love that example. Again, a simple something, something first thing in the morning something he could he could practice. And it yeah. really was small, but yet began to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And he stuck with it. He stuck with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Irvin, isn't that really what we're talking about here? That whatever practice we can stick with is the one to go with. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. What is it? You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, how many New Year's resolutions never make it past the 3rd of January? Was there too big? You know, I will go to the gym twice a day, every day. Yeah, really. Oh my gosh. So true. You're just reminding me of this. So like when, you know, we had the new year not too long ago, because it's February now that we're recording this. I found I didn't have a lot of energy around New Year's resolutions. Mm. I was like, oh, you know, usually I'm like, it's a new year, you know, and I'm all excited. And I was like, I don't really have any. And then I heard something or read something. And um, what it was, was this person said, you know, I decided I was only going to do one tiny little thing in the new year. And what it was is that I was going to pay more attention to the little details of my friends' lives. And then I'm going to follow up with them and ask them, how's your dog doing? Or, you know, you told me you had that doctor's appointment coming up and how did it go? She goes, because it's the little things that, you know, I I forget. And who did that grab hold of me? And I thought, that's it. My aspiration this year is to be a better friend. 
Love it. And my practice is exactly what she said. And you know what? Because it's so freaking doable yep. and it connects to something I care about, I have kept that practice. I am on a roll. Love so, it. Love yeah. it. So Bridget, I'm curious, you know, we always try to end with the practice. I feel we've got an ingrown practice here already developed, but maybe we should spell it out a little bit. Like, like what will we leave our listeners with today about a practice that will embody something for lasting change? Well, yeah, we're going to call this practice the same title as our episode. The practice is called Making It Stick. Love it. Right? So it's got three steps. And the first step is going to sound familiar to you. And that is take a moment to reflect on and identify an aspiration that you have for your leadership, have for your life, you know, a longing for something more, maybe, for something different or something new to take root. You know, pick something you care about. That's the key. So maybe you're thinking, gosh, I really like to create a more cohesive executive team, you know, but you haven't made the progress that you want. Or maybe it's a more personal aspiration, like I want to find more of my leadership voice. So that's step number one. What is an aspiration that you hold in your heart and that you care deeply about? Step two, ask yourself this simple question. What is something I could practice every day that if I was successful, it would bring me one step closer to that aspiration? Mm. What's just one little baby step that I could take each and every day that if I'm successful is going to head me in the right direction? That's about locating that doable practice. And then three, Irvin, I bet our listeners can guess where we're going with number three, (laughs) which is do it consistently. Practice, practice, practice. Without judging yourself in the process. And that's a big one, at least Mm, for my clients, because you're not going to be perfect at it. And the point is not to, you know, say, oh, you know, I'm not doing well, but is to withhold judgment and to commit to a deliberate daily practice and notice the difference it makes and build on it from there. That's really how we create lasting change that sticks. I love that. I love that. I love I love that, you know, as well, just the grace to, to admit it's not going to be perfect, that this is a, you know, kind of when we learn something new, we give ourselves a lot of leeway to make mistakes. And I think in this, give ourselves some leeway, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but to, to really, really hone in on why we're doing this and, and the passion that we're bringing to it. And I think that'll inform the practice every day. Well, this has been fascinating. I am thinking about some practices. Maybe I want to create for my own life. The good news about this podcast, I think we started off was with your brain can change. Folks, doesn't matter what age you are, the brain is a wonderful adaptive organ. And then we've, we've gone through, we've kind of hammered in in these three different areas of, you know, having a clarity around what it is, you know, that we're hoping to change. We're having a clarity around the practice we're going to bring to it. And then we've got consistency with the practice. So I'd love to hear that if this struck a nerve with you and you uh, would like to tell us about a practice that you've adopted for a change, we'd love to hear about it and just feel to reach out either to Bridget or myself. I'd really enjoy that. But Bridget, as always, wonderful talking with you today. Great, great uh, conversation. And thank you so much. 
Likewise, Irvin. Take care. Thank you, listeners. Bye now. See you next time.